The Last Word with Matt Cooper. John Gibbons with us for our weekly environment spot. So, Dublin City Council is looking at higher parking charges for those who have SUVs and increased resident parking costs. So is this a sort of a backdoor way of making things more expensive if they don't have congestion charges? Yeah, good evening, Matt. Yeah, I think it's um, the first thing to say probably is that parking charges uh, in Dublin relative to many other cities, they're actually pretty low. And I Sorry, suppose putting it up to four euro an hour in the busiest areas. In the central areas, yeah. And I remember, you think that's low? Yeah, well, I'll give you an example. I remember uh, being, being in uh, Boston back in 2014 and um, a friend of mine was, was parking his, his car in the town for the evening, right? And it was $35 to park in the city centre in the evening. And I remember being absolutely gobsmacked. And he just kind of shrugged and said, look, that's what it costs. So Sorry, I'm gobsmacked by the fact you were in Boston because I know we're going to start getting text messages in from listeners saying, how did you get there, John? Did you go in your Curragh or did you fly there? Yeah, I went on a trebuchet. Yeah, so I, I was I was, I was, was hurled there. Yeah, sure. Anyway. Sorry, uh, as an aside, but you know you're open for that I, when you mention you course, somewhere yeah. like Boston. And as I say, I've tried not, Matt, to set myself up as some kind of a paragon of virtue either. I know, and I understand that. But let's get back to the idea of increased parking charges and also a discrimination against SUVs. Mm. Is this on the basis that they take up more space? Yeah, I think so. I mean, what we're finding is that a lot of our parking spaces uh, in, in city areas... They just don't work for, for SUVs, number one. I think even the car parks are struggling with this. Uh, that's the first thing. And the second thing, of course, just simple practicality. They take up more space both in, in traffic and also uh, on the streets. So uh, it's really creating a crush. And, of course, another, I guess, part of uh, Dublin City Council, along with many other local authorities, part of their policies, matter are to actively encourage active travel. Now, if you have the misfortune of trying to share a street for example, as a cyclist, which we're trying to encourage uh, with SUVs, you're at a huge disadvantage. There's less street space. Remember, the streets of Dublin haven't got any bigger, right? They're pretty much the same size, by and large, as they were 100 years ago. But the vehicles are getting bigger and bigger. Now, if we want to share our street space, if we want people to move to active travel, we cannot do that if we allow unfettered access to these Really huge. We see vehicles. there's a lot of people now actually saying, what actually is your definition of an SUV? A lot of things are crossovers and there are genuine SUVs and things that are made to look a bit more like them. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the Financial Times did a, did a, a walkthrough on this recently and, and there's, they broke it up into three, the sort of the small SUVs, the medium and the large ones. So the medium SUVs would definitely be the largest single category. Now, interestingly, that same survey, Matt, uh, discovered or revealed that... Uh, 60% of the new cars sold in Ireland in 2022, 60% were SUVs, the highest number in the European Union. Yeah, but again, it's the definition. Listener says if you see the size of a BMW or Mercedes SUV, yet a Hyundai is much smaller and is still classed as an SUV. Yeah, exactly. So getting your terminology right is an issue. But let's take some of the things that make SUVs problematic. And I know this upsets people because people like the high sitting position. I get that. But if you're driving an SUV, first of all, you make the likelihood of somebody that you collide with, especially a vulnerable road user, like a cyclist, like a pedestrian, if you hit them with an SUV, right, because of the high position of the bonnet in particular, the likelihood of you killing them increases very significantly, even at relatively low speeds, because there's no way of dispersing that energy over the bonnet. So essentially, you hit them, you tend to hit them in the chest, and you run over them. Now, this is a huge issue, Matt, and there's no way of resolving it. So even your lighter, so-called lighter SUVs, have the wrong shape. 
Okay, let's move on. You spoke to us previously about bottom trawling, as it's known. And you gave me notes on your latest, and I'm fascinated by this, because this is something that apparently has as much emissions, carbon emissions annually, as the entire global aviation industry. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. First of all, let me explain why there's so many emissions involved, right? In the oceans, in the normal process, as, as, as organic material, as fish and other creatures die, basically their, their bodies, their sediment falls to the seafloor. And that basically is captured carbon. Now, it sits on the seafloor, effectively trapped, almost like a coal seam. This is a carbon sink, isn't it? Is it? A mass, it is a literal sink. It is a carbon from living organisms that have died falls to the bottom of the ocean and forms a carbon sink. That carbon is taken out of the, of the carbon cycle. Now, so this is a good thing. A very good thing. It's, it's really, an essential thing. Oh, it's a critical thing. Now, what happens is bottom trawlers then come along. Well, first of all, if I can explain briefly what we mean when we say bottom trawler. Yeah, these are weighted nets. Yes, yeah, these are specialised trawlers. Sometimes they operate in pairs and they basically pull a net which has usually has uh, teeth. There's a metal bar along the bottom and it has teeth and it digs up the seafloor. So effectively, consider it to be more like a bulldozer than a trawler. So rather than catching fish that are swimming, the purpose of bottom trawling is to dig up the seafloor to rip out the crustaceans, to rip out the shrimps or other things that basically uh, live in the seafloor. Now, the bycatch mat of this type of fishing is about 90%. It is, somebody described it to me as the equivalent of carpet bombing a, a forest in order to capture a bear. It's unbelievably destructive. Now, not only, of course, is it destructive of marine systems, but it's also destroying livelihoods for fishermen because because, why is it important? The seafloor is the principal uh, nursery for various types of marine life and fish. So when you tear up the seafloor, when one of these bottom trawlers passes over a particular area, that area becomes effectively barren and infertile. Could be for five years, could be for ten years. And when they repeatedly trawl the area, eventually that entire ecosystem collapses and dies. But on top of that, uh, as we mentioned in the, in the introduction, when you churn up the seafloor with these huge metal rods, you then dig up all that trapped carbon. It's then mixed with the, with the ocean water. It rises up through the ocean. It increases ocean acidification. And it also hampers the ocean's ability to draw down carbon dioxide. So that's why the calculation is it is adding a billion tons a year to, to the, to the CO2 load that should be being drawn down by the oceans. That sounds like an absolute disaster. Is anybody trying to do anything about this? Oh, yeah. I mean, for example, earlier this year, and I know we've spoken about it, uh, we've had attempts at pushing through an EU nature restoration law. And, and one of the keystones of that is to really crack down on bottom trawling. But to, to, to emphasize, you know, just how specific a problem this is, uh, if you consider that 90% of this carbon disturbance that I've described, if you were to simply protect 4% of the oceans, and these are mostly, Matt, close to national uh, waters. These are inland oceans, right? In other words, where they encounter the continental shelf. If you were to protect those, and what I mean by protect them is fully protect them. Because in Ireland, for example, we have what are called paper parks. These are marine protected areas on paper. And I'll give you an example. Say down in, in Kenmare Bay. This is a marine protected area that is currently being uh, pair trawled by a pair of trawlers. 
inside a so-called marine protected area. So we have these designations that carry no weight in law. So who's going out patrolling this? Because I think we have two naval ships at present. Well, is this is the extent of the Irish Navy. It's like we were talking about having only 60 dog protection wardens. We have two bloody ships that's to right. go around and stop anyone well, doing things like this. The folks doing this patrolling are not breaking the law. We Regulations were brought in, I believe it was in 2019, to actually ban... Uh, bottom trawling within six kilometres or six miles of, of the Irish coast. That was then uh, appealed or taken to court by a couple of fishermen who objected to their livelihoods being uh, interfered with. The judge agreed with them, so it was struck down. So what they're doing, it might be incredibly destructive. It might be putting their fellow fishermen out of business. It might be destroying marine systems, but it's legal. Listener says, first time ever I've agreed with John Gibbons, bottom trawling should be banned. Another one says, why do we have to ruin everything? We humans, we're a disgrace. Nobody seems to care where our food comes from and the damage and the cruelty this causes in relation to the bottom trawling and the fish. All of which happens in a week where we've had, just to finish off, uh, it looks like October 2023 has put the world on track to have its hottest year in 125,000 years. Yeah, it's pretty jaw-dropping stuff. Uh, For example, Currently, from January to October 2023, we're tracking 1.43 degrees centigrade above pre-industrial. This is incredible. If you remember, Matt, the the Paris Agreement in 2015 said we must avoid breaching 1.5. We're bunched when it comes to that. Well, I mean, in terms of 1.5, I'm sorry to say, but if you'd had me in here uh, a couple of years ago and you'd asked me about this, I would have said to you, look, we will hit 1.5 in the early 2030s. I'm absolutely gobsmacked at how fast this thing is. And what's worse, the scientists who are, who are tracking this, they're saying this is going to get worse in the very short term because we're now heading, as you know, uh, we went into an El Nino cycle in about June of this year, but it only really affects us in by, by early next year. So 2024, Matt, is going to be worse. John Gibbons, we'll talk to you next Thursday. Thank you for joining us. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today and-